The change that I want to see is that people don't have to ever mention the word sustainable ever again. And it just becomes the way that people work. So really the change I want to see is that the way supply chains, the way production and the kind of designing collections is set up is that it works for people, plant and profit for brands. It works for factories and those further up the supply chain. And that ultimately it's just easier and more accessible and more cost-effective for people to do things right than it is for them to do them in the old ways. Hello and welcome to Conscious Commerce, the podcast that shows you that sustainability doesn't have to be a scary word in business. On this show, we talk to founders, experts, and executives from around the world who are building successful modern brands that consider their impact on the planet and on people. I'm your host, Ellie Strang, and this podcast is brought to you by Nourishu. On today's show, we are joined by Flora Davidson, the co-founder and head of product at Supply Compass. Their online platform helps fashion brands and manufacturers work better together to sustainably source, design, and deliver collections. Technology has created some of the most helpful workflow tools in human history. Shout out to Asana, I think I speak for the world, or at least my colleagues, when I say we love you. However, I was surprised to learn from Flora that often in the fashion industry, teams are working off Excel spreadsheets, long email chains, and file sharing services to create entire clothing collections. A report by Global Fashion Agenda in 2017 found that 35% of all materials in fashion supply chains end up as waste before their clothing even reaches the end consumer. The fashion world needs a more streamlined and mindful way of working, and this is where Supply Compass comes in. Their goal is to create a new way of designing and managing production in fashion, with sustainability at the heart of it all. In this episode, You'll learn what it's like to found a startup on the ground in Mumbai, India, how Supply Compass is making supply chains sexy, and why Flora hopes the word sustainable disappears from our vocabularies altogether. Here's Flora and I for Conscious Commerce. Hey, Flora. Hi. How are you going today? I'm good. I'm good, thanks. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good. Interesting combination seeing you in the morning and me at night time, but I'm sure we can get on the same level as each other. <laughs> to start the podcast off, um, we like to get to know you a little bit better as a person. So what's a fun fact about you that not many people know, or what's your go-to party trick? That's a tough one. I suppose fun fact that people don't know about me uh, I used to do some voiceover work um, when I was living in Paris, working for an ad agency. They needed a British accent to do voiceover work and I was probably a cheaper way for them to do it. So I am actually the voiceover for certain uh, pharmaceutical products for gut health, um, <laughs> for, for, for certain adverts that came out in Hungary and Italy. So you may have heard my voice talking about gut health if you live in one of those countries. <laughs> That's really funny because the last um, podcast interview I did with Kate from Sondra and Tal, I don't know if you know them, but she 
she was doing something in the voice space as well. She said, I can do a really good um, South American accent, like from the Southern States, Southern Lass, and then she proceeded to do it on the podcast. So I'm loving this theme that's carrying through. Also, we like to get a sense of where people are from in the world. So where are you right now and what's special about that place? So I'm from London. Well, I'm from the east part of the UK. Uh, I'm currently um, on lockdown in Cape Town, uh, which is a fantastic city. So I've been working here for a few months. Um, so yeah, what's special about home or what's I mean I can say lots of things that are special about Cape Town it's an amazing city I think maybe go for Cape Town (laughs) as the more exciting option it's yeah it's London's great but it's not as exciting as Cape Town so what's really special about Cape Town is that we're living in like a suburb and within 15 minutes of each other you can be in a vineyard you can be on the beach surfing or you can be hiking a serious mountain like Table Mountain all within 15 minutes drive of each other. You can even see the beach from the mountains and the vineyard. That's quite different to London. <laughs> you have to drive or fly somewhere to do any of those things. Is a safari close by? Because I feel like that would complete the experience. Safari is about three hours away, so that's pretty much okay. close by. If you weren't running Supply Compass, what industry or job do you think you'd end up working in? Just thinking about this, I always thought that I would end up as a documentary filmmaker. I don't think I would have been very good at it, um, but that's what I always thought I would do. But I think now, having worked in supply chain, fashion supply chains for the last five years, it would undoubtedly continue to be in supply chain tech. I think it could be other industries. I just think supply chains themselves are fascinating and require so much innovation to make it work for so many different types of people. Yeah, because what has your career journey been like to get to this point? And did you picture yourself being an entrepreneur founding a company? <laughs> I did not I did not <laughs> picture that. And to be honest, I still struggle to see myself as that now. I think I had never had a picture of a very corporate career path in my mind not because I don't think that that's a great career path but I don't think it suited my skill set or how I approach things I like things to almost not be fully mapped out and to shape things from nothing and create I've always been into kind of creating something I've started a few small businesses before doing this not commercially successful when I was 13 I started a card company and sold about 200 birthday cards to kind of poor neighbors and things like, like greeting that. cards greeting cards that's it yeah, yeah yeah so I would do like illustrations for those and sell them overpriced to neighbors who were very happy to pay um just for supporting the 13 year old dreams yeah. before this I was working as a market researcher um so consulting big retailers like Adidas and L'Oreal on understanding their customers at different parts of the globe. So I think um, my interests have always lain with understanding people and why people do the things that they do and what makes people tick and then making sure that we build products or solutions around human behaviours that exist. So I think whatever allows me to continue understanding people and building and innovating for humans I think that is just the path I'll carry on going down. And that's happened to take me down this more entrepreneurial career path, I suppose. Did you realise through that journey that the supply chains weren't really 
built as well as they could be for the people within them. Is that what led you on the path towards Supply Compass? Exactly that. Moving to India was really quite a transformational experience for for me in terms of, you know, being on the ground and speaking to so many different factory owners and suppliers and people further up the value chain visiting cotton farms is that it's a very human tactile industry and that, you know, the software that had been created either doesn't work around human behaviors well enough, it kind of is hard to learn or not intuitive or doesn't actually take into consideration the end user. Um, But really, I think what I felt in my two years living in India was that there is so much um, that needs to happen that works for, it it needs to work for all parties. And I think so much focus and emphasis has been placed on the retail and the brand side of things in terms of innovation. And actually there needs to be innovation that sits across the entire infrastructure of supply chains. So you and your co-founder Gas, you moved to Mumbai, India to learn about supply chains from the source. Was the idea for Supply Compass already in the works there or was that something you did pre even having an idea for a business? When we were first in India, I actually had a job to go and work at a design agency. But before I started at that design agency, I decided to do a textiles course at one of the fashion schools in Mumbai just for a a two-month course. I knew I was going to get more interested and get into the supply chain side of things, but I didn't know that it would take this direction. Really, there was this kind of turning point. I had been in India for a month and part of the fashion school, it was loads of 18-year-old Mumbai girls and me as this random 20, I think I was 27 at the time. I couldn't really work out why I was there, but everyone was very lovely to me. And we went on this trip to a factory as part of the course. It was a printing factory four hours north of Mumbai. And we got there And I couldn't breathe because the smell of chemicals was so overpowering. And this was just a local printing factory that was not for export. And I thought, hold on a second. I've seen good factories, but there must be so many more factories like this. On the way to driving to this factory, we passed a million other factories that look the same from the outside. I remember phoning my mom and I was like, I know know what I'm going to do. It was the first time in my career I felt really really passionate about something. I'm going to have this experience in India over the next few years that I need to galvanize and get people to feel what I'm feeling. And it's not bad factories. It's actually that I think it's so easy to feel disconnected from where your goods are made from that process. And I thought something's got to change. People have to wake up to the reason why this factory is the way it is, isn't the factory's fault necessarily. The whole system has allowed this to become like this. Yeah, if there's no motivation to change, right? There's no inspiration or influence coming from other parts of the supply chain. So why bother? Exactly. There was kind of more and more noise and um, opinions coming through press around what needs to happen. But for businesses, for fashion businesses, and supply chain businesses, how do they actually make that change? There needs to be systems, there needs to be organisations that help them make that change easily and cost effectively, otherwise it won't happen. We could have knew from the start that we needed to be an enabler of change and actually doing something about it rather than talking about it. Did it make it all the more evident being on the ground there, the disconnect with fashion companies back home or back in other countries? They just sort of didn't really get it or didn't get a sense of what it was like there. What I felt there is that 
there is a disconnect. It's become quite transactional. I think, you know, in the 70s, 80s, people used to spend months on end visiting their factories and building really, really strong long-term relationships. But there's a much kind of higher turnover of businesses now. There's less of that massive business coming in and existing for 50 years. People ask for certs. The first thing a brand asks for a factory is show me your certifications, prove you are who you say you are. Imagine if you're a factory and like any relationship, imagine if you were on Tinder and someone said for the first thing, prove you are who you say you are. It's this really odd, distrustful kind of base that exists. What we saw is that it had become transactional, it had become disconnected and people were moving around a lot. And so we thought, right, how do we help businesses build better, longer term partnerships and set them up for success with each other. We're in the business of, we're not a Tinder, but we're kind of looking for to set people up long term and, and do that through kind of improving <laughs> processes and etc. That's a great tagline. <laughs> we're not looking for a one night stand though. <laughs> no, we're looking for the long term. So what were your next moves after being in Mumbai? How long did you stay there? When did you go back to the UK? So we stayed there for about two years. Um, and what we would do is kind of two weeks of each month, we would be on the road visiting factories all around the country. And then we would spend two weeks in in a uh, kind of co-working space that was in the top of a club. So it was pretty noisy. Um, <laughs> but, you know, you do what you need to do at the beginning of a business. And then we um, started to have some traction and thought, right, let's raise some investment. So we came back to the UK to raise that investment and grow the team. So at this stage, we have an office in Hyderabad in the middle of southern Telangana region of India. And we have an office in London. We're all remote at the moment. Our platform is global. So we work with fashion brands and manufacturers around around the world. People come to NoSU for their sustainable packaging. The, the packaging is often one of the later decisions in a business journey. So we try and encourage people to be thinking about it much earlier in the process. So from your experience, at what point in a company or a product's life cycle do you think these discussions around sustainability or ethics should start happening? They need to start happening at the start of the business and then they need to happen every single time a decision is made. It needs to be there at the forefront. I could not agree more with this, the afterthought. Oh, we should probably do that. Okay, well, actually, in making that decision late, it's not actually going to be as sustainable as you would like. So I think something that we always say to businesses is, you know, the impact of a product is really designed right at the start of its journey. I think they say that 80% of a product's impact is, is decided in that first phase of product development. What we say is like, think of all these things at the start. In our platform, for example, we encourage people to build their packaging choices in when they're selecting materials, when they're outlining what they actually want to make. So the factory can also cost up everything and understand the whole product requirements in one go. It, it should be in every single team member's minds at every point, but not so it's overwhelming and debilitating, but it just needs to be front of mind. Okay, Yeah, so it's kind of like the lens you view every process with, right? Exactly. It's got to overlay the whole thing. Exactly. Yeah. So when it comes to a fashion brand's environmental footprint, why is sourcing sustainable fabric so important? Because I know you guys do some amazing guides on different sustainable fabrics they can use. So why is that such a big part? 
When we talk about sustainability in in the context of our platform, we look at it in three areas. We look at design, we look at process, and we look at relationships. And obviously, we've talked about strategic partnerships and the relationships and supply chain already. When it comes to process, that's around efficiency and ordering the right amount and, and sticking to what you've promised with that factory and not going back on your word. But this is the design element. So Although it's not the only thing to consider, it is obviously a significant part. You've got to consider so many things for a material. If it's a natural material, the raw material extraction process, you've got to think of where it comes from. You've got to think location. You've got to think of the amount of water. You've got to think of the chemicals. And then there's the impact of it throughout that journey. But then there's also the end of life. So it's getting businesses to consider the right materials for each product. It's not blanket, which is why a guide is just a guide, because ultimately it's really specific to a certain product category, to the market that you create that product in. Is organic cotton, if you're sourcing it from a other side of the world, is that actually the best decision? Should you be using materials that uh, are naturally exist closer to the source or that that country is specialist in? So it is really important to consider your raw materials. However, it is only one part of the puzzle. So what would you say to people that say sustainable alternatives put a limit on what's possible with design or creativity? Putting kind of confines around things, it can seem restrictive, particularly for creative teams. But I personally see limitations as almost like a springboard for almost more innovation. At the moment, designers are free to design anything they want which is great and really exciting. But actually to say you can only design around these core materials in these locations and this is your limitation. You need to be doing it in certain shapes so that you minimize the waste on the cutting floor, et cetera. I think that's really exciting because that is ultimately we're going to need to design around constraints more. Like that is the almost like the core of what sustainability is, is working with what you have or what's available. So I think like really what, we feel is that the businesses that are really pushing the boundaries are those who are really experimenting. They're not just doing one sustainable capsule collection. They're rethinking how they design, how they source, being flexible to work with what's there um, is, is really ultimately the mindset that you need to have. There's been a lot of exciting developments announced in the fashion industry recently. Like one example is Allbirds are making t-shirts out of crab shells and creating plant-based leather. So is there a development happening in the fashion industry that's got you really excited about the future? I'm quite sad. I get really excited about things like that. I just love innovations in material. There's some really exciting things. I went to a talk a few years ago from a company called, I think they were called Color Fix. They use enzymes to dye clothing and the water that comes out the back it cleans itself so you can dye something and then it's just like drinkable water just because it's just biology and that's so cool like wow how is that not mainstream yet (laughs) that's amazing the problem is is that innovations when they happen for them to actually kind of be spread spread far and wide you've got different machines it's not as simple as being like right all of these ways of working these need to stop overnight because then there's loads of people's jobs that are tied into that do we want to remove all of the demand from the cotton fields like these cotton farmers they need employment they're living often below the breadline it's all so complicated to suddenly jump on something new you don't want to leave what you've been doing behind because that has implications Yeah, you can't just all jump on this shiny new innovation 
and ditch the people behind you. Exactly. Something that we really think is so key is for businesses, they have a responsibility to bring their manufacturers and suppliers on that journey with them. Say to your material supplier, like we've come across this awesome new diet technique. Is this something that you have explored? Would you be interested to explore this with us? Rather than like, we're going to change suppliers. Go on that journey because, you know, some of the best factories in the world are the best factories in the world because some of the big retailers have really heavily invested in taking them on that journey with them. And I think that, I know it's harder for for small and medium-sized businesses to, to do that. But ultimately, so many manufacturers and suppliers are so receptive to change but they need businesses to kind of help them on that journey and talk to them about why they should change and what that means for them and, you know, actually the commercial advantages for those manufacturers and suppliers as well. And what has the relationship been like between tech and supply chain management in the past and how has Supplier Compass been transforming this? There's just been a massive kind of absence of tech that really like works for all parties. Our biggest pushback is that teams just love using excel and excel is a fantastic tool we love excel however it is not built for sharing complex ever evolving information across organizations across markets across different organizations all over the world again and again and again season after season and so I think at the start you know I would get messages back from teams being like no we're okay thanks we're okay on email and excel however like if we look at this future where we need to start measuring where things come from we need to be kind of traceable transparent we need to understand our impact we've got to go on that journey of digitalization and moving away from tools that we've used for the last 40 years because they are not built for the future and the same thing for factories factory after factory we visited like when we unpicked we'd asked them what their biggest challenges were and they said, look, ultimately, we spend more time spending time at our computer trying to make sense of designs and changes and on email to our customers rather than on the factory floor and actually making products. Like we are here to produce and design teams are there to create. And everyone's stuck in managing production and chasing up on emails and making changes to documents, sharing things through WeTransfer. So we want to free these teams up to actually do what they want to do more of, which is create and produce, not spend time in Excel. Yeah, because I'm thinking of some of the workflow applications we use, like Asana, Guru, Slack for a, a global business, but that won't be the same for the fashion industry or working with a global factory. Like they won't have any of those tools at their fingertips, right? So it must be hard. They don't. And this is what it's kind of great. I'm almost like amazed that um, businesses all over the world manage to continually design and produce collection after collection with the tools that they're using. But you're so right. Some people even try and use Asana for managing production, but it's not built for that because production is so unique. The fashion industry is so enormous. There's so many individuals and they've got email and Excel. And so basically we're kind of building the, the Slack Asana equivalents so that but so there's a kind of common language, a common process that works for all. That's amazing. And can you share an example of a company or companies you've worked with who are doing really impressive work with their supply chains or use of materials? 
Yeah, so we work so we work with about 40 different um, fashion businesses today. We've been working with a Canadian-based brand called Adesso Man, and they have been using um, dead stock leftover leather from one of our leather partners in Southeast India and in Chennai. And so it was kind of rejected leather that from orders that were cancelled during COVID. And he's designed a whole awesome collection around that dead stock leather. So yeah, there's lots of great examples. That's really exciting. And how have you seen the fashion industry change since you set out on this journey with Supply Compass? Do you think there's a lot more buy-in from brands to make different areas of their business sustainable in 2021? There's undoubtedly been enormous change since we set out on our journey. Sustainability is now just everyone knows they've got to build it into their business in, in, in numerous ways, but there's still so much work to be done um, and the kind of pace of change needs to be faster. I'm not going to lie, like ultimately there needs to be a really a rewiring of how people work. And so I think the businesses that will succeed in the next five years um, are those who adopt new technologies, are those who work with their factories to drive change together and those who experiment and try out new things. And I think those who just keep working in the way that they've always worked, even if you're starting to work with more sustainable materials, it's not enough. The businesses who are bold and game-changing, like you mentioned, Allbirds, companies like Pangaea, people like Tommy Hilfiger who adopted three way back, way before COVID, they went on their 3D transformation journey and they only do digital samples now or they're on that journey to doing that. But getting people more comfortable with more of that process being digital because it saves a lot of confusion. For people not in the fashion industry, like how much waste is created during that process of getting samples and reviewing? Well, I, I wish I had a stat at my fingertips, but put it this way, millions of samples are made. Samples that then aren't gone and put into production. And this is just to see if you want to do it. Like that can be digital. You can just test a digital version of your product on your customers. Um, so I think like often the efficiency and process side of the fashion industry is left out of the conversation of sustainability. A good, solid, efficient process is the foundation to a sustainable business. If you don't have the process right, then all the things you're going to do on top will be sitting on almost like a slightly broken core. Yeah, do you think that's the part of the industry most underserved by innovation at this point in time? That is what we believe at Supply Compass is that everyone gets that with step one right. We can't calculate impact yet because what we need first is that people use a digital system like us. They have that data there and then they can go and make sense of it. But until that data is created in a system, then it's, it's really challenging. And things like LCAs, lifecycle analysis on product, they're very costly and time consuming um, because of the, the fact that a lot of that information needs to be analysed by people from Excel spreadsheets. Is that not really common practice across the board, life cycle, product cycle analysis? It's, it's expensive and it's slow. You know, it can take months and months. And so think of how many products lots of businesses make every collection. A lot of SMEs understandably don't have the time or budget to analyse every single new product that they drop. So really, I think what we see is there's a data issue from the start, like when the product is first created. So the concept of supply companies, what we're saying is build your product from the starting point in a system like ours. In your libraries, it has all the information of your material with all your certifications and all of the fibre, every relevant information. So that every time you build your product, you've got these kind of 
cards that build up and that then you can see what your materials have been used across what cells you can then use that material again on multiple other projects like we spoke at the beginning so much of a product's impact is created and is decided in those early phases so that's the part it needs to start in the cloud (laughs) (laughs) it all comes back to the cloud So sustainability's meaning sometimes does get confusing, but here at No Issues, one of the ways we like to define it is future-proofing your business for the long term by making more conscious choices. So what advice would you give to established fashion brands to future-proof their business? With the fear of repeating myself again, it would be move into, like start adopting digital tools across your entire business. Um, because if you want to do all these exciting things with blockchain and all of these, if you want to map your supply chain back to the source, it will it will be so much harder to do this if you don't if you don't take go on that journey of digitalization. So for that's just obviously my opinion of what needs to happen. And there's like we spoke at the beginning, it's a big old jigsaw, but that's what we've identified as one of the greatest challenges for fashion brands and their supply chains is how they're working together. And on that note, for fashion brands that are just starting out to develop their products or they just have an idea, what would you say, where should they begin or what should they be thinking about first? That's a good question. At the start of Supply Comms, we we worked a lot more with with startups in their first phase. And I think what we've learned is really don't try and be everything. You're not going to be the perfect, most sustainable business that offers all the right products immediately focus on one or two products get them really right accept be transparent with your customers that maybe you won't be able to have that perfect supply chain that ticks all the boxes immediately because ultimately you as a starting out business you can't necessarily get into the factories that are able to to give you what you need to do those things but also it's about communicating that with your customers and saying right this is the thing I really care about I really care about using waste for my brand it's a non-negotiable and then you can work on improving all the other parts but like focus on one or two non-negotiables from a sustainability standpoint and stick to your guns on that and then communicate to your customers why you haven't been able to do the other things yet because you're starting out on your journey and you wouldn't actually be able to make any money selling that product if you did all the other things which is often the reality and what's your what's the change you want to see in the world long term with supply compass the change that I want to see is that people don't have to ever mention the word sustainable ever again. And it just becomes the way that people work. So really the change I want to see is that the way supply chains, the way production and the kind of designing collections is set up is that it works for brands. It works for people, plant and profit for brands. It works for factories and those further up the supply chain. And that ultimately it's just easier and more accessible and more cost effective for people to do things right than it is for them to do them in the old way so I think that's what I'd like to for our change to be is that we we bring about a new way of working that actually makes more sense and is also good for for all all individuals involved I love that you said we don't have to mention the word sustainability anymore because I feel like it does get thrown around and overused so much. It would be nice for it to just be accepted as a status quo. 
Yeah. Is that, yeah. <laughs> we really struggled using the term actually, and we didn't put it anywhere on our website or in our comms for ages. And then we realized that actually people need a, a word to attach to you. You just have to define what it means to you as a business. And to be honest, we don't use it that much. We know that it's like in our DNA as a business. So yeah, it's a, it's a hard word that lost meaning for loads of people. But until there is another new word, it kind of is the word that we need to use. Is there language you use as an alternative to that? Do you say um, impact-driven, purpose, anything like that? We use responsible quite a lot. It's like making responsible decisions. It's like considering everything. What is the right decision to make in this situation? Even though it's kind of a weird word to use, we use the word better a lot. So we'll be like design products better, build a better process. Better doesn't really mean anything unless it's better than something. But ultimately, it's this idea, it's a journey and it's just going to take time to get there. So incremental improvements is is better than no improvements at all. Yeah, I like the use of the word better because it shows that you're not sacrificing something to go for the greener option, like it actually is the best option. Exactly. Better for all, for kind of considering all things, this is better. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, how do you define success for Supply Compass and also for yourself personally? For me personally, um, I think it's really like success is, is building software. I sit in the product side of things. So that means I design the technology that we build is, is building technology that people actually love using. There's nothing that would disappoint me more. If I got feedback from a customer being like, I don't really like this. It's not very user-friendly and I don't think it brings me any value. I'd be like, what is the point in, in us existing? If we can just build technology that is easy to learn, easy to use and looks appealing and you know why can't supply chain software be sexy and enjoyable to use (laughs) Um, it doesn't need to be boring data fields yeah why can't it spark joy exactly oh thank you so much flora for your time today it's been so amazing chatting to you lovely chatting to you too thanks for having me that's flora davidson co-founder and head of product at supply compass you can find supply compass at at supply compass on instagram Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Conscious Commerce. If you're not a subscriber yet, show us some love and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. If you want to see more of No Issue, we're at No Issue Co. on Instagram and TikTok and noissue.co on the World Wide Web. We'll catch you next time.